Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. But how does his iconic prayer shape our character and help us find intimacy with God? Find out today on the Central Baptist Podcast. The scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's from verses 25 to 34. Please turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 or follow along in the insert that you grabbed when you came in the door. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither, sow, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to come back who's going to introduce our speaker for today. Good morning, Central family. I have the privilege of introducing Alistair Turkington, who will be our guest speaker and pastor this morning. I have known Alistair for a long time since I was a child, and I came through close family connections with Alistair's family uh, through the Awana Children's Ministry program in BC. When I was in high school, I remember staying in Alistair's bedroom while he was away at school, and I admired his vast collection of Coca-Cola, including international bottles, as well as good theological commentaries and theological books. And this started off my own admiration, my own collection of Coca-Cola, as well as into a deep dive of a love of theology. One of which, Brittany, my wife, put a quick stop to early after we got married. Uh, the other which has been of great and tremendous value in my life and growth of faith in Christ. Uh, through many years and conversations with Alistair, um, I have just been so thankful for his willingness to invest in my life, to share great books and podcasts, and he has become uh, you know, a primary uh, disciple of me and, uh, and has caused me to be drawn to Christ himself. And for that, I'm very thankful. I've also had the privilege of going to Nepal uh, with Alistair uh, as he served as the BC Regional Director. Uh, and we traveled to Nepal in 2015 after the earthquake to provide aid there. Uh, Alistair is an ordained pastor within the Fellowship Pacific within our denomination and has pastored congregations in Brussels and Vancouver and has just returned after pastoring for the last five and a half years uh, to an international church in Kathmandu, Nepal. He is married to his wife, Erin, and they have four kids together who the Mallet children are uh, blessed to uh, call friends. And uh, Alistair now and his family are soon to embark on a new adventure. He is starting for, as a chaplain uh, for the Canadian Armed Forces this summer. Let me pray to God that uh, he would speak through Alistair this morning, and I look forward to hearing from him and from the Word. Let's pray. Our merciful God, we turn to you, and we thank you that you are not a God who is afar off but you are a God who is near to us, your people, 
You are a God who is present in our very situation, who provides daily for us, and uh, who cares for the needs and for the needs of, and for the uh, and for all that uh, we require. God, we uh, just pray that you would uh, embolden uh, Pastor Turkington. You would embolden uh, Alistair to uh, preach to us, uh, give him clarity of mind and thought and heart as he preaches, and that you would just be with us as a congregation, that we would not just come week after week uh, being left the same, but that we would be changed each week as we meet, uh, that you would uh, work in us, that you would open our ears to hear, and that you would incline our hearts towards your word. And God, with this in mind and uh, with this heart, we look to you and ask that your spirit would convict us, would lead us into all truth. In this, we give thanks to you this morning. Amen. Thanks, Zach. Thank you for that introduction. Um, it is a joy to be with you this morning. Again, it's, uh, it's kind of fun when you have a friend that when you say, how long have we known each other for? And you have no idea. Um, it's actually quite a joy to have been friends with Zach for so long in the family. And uh, when he, he has told me that, uh, that Central uh, Barton had left the congregation, I was like, oh dear, because I've just left my congregation, and I know it's hard. It's a hard season, it's a hard time of transition, um, and I know Barton quite well as well. I've known him for about 14 years, um, and so I've been praying for you, and I've been praying that the Lord would, would provide for you. And there, there's something that I actually want, just maybe two things to, to maybe share, just to encourage you in this season. The first is, you know, during seasons like this, it can be quite um, uncertain. You're not sure maybe why God's doing what he's doing and, and, and maybe where are things going. And so if I can encourage you one thing, just remember that God's got everything under control. And he's in charge. He knows exactly where everybody needs to be. I remember when, when I was a, a pastor out in Langley uh, and uh, we had a missionary come and, and he says, he said, did you know that in the church of Antioch, the church sent out their best. They sent out Paul and Barnabas. And, uh, and I'd never thought about that before. But the church was still there, and this church still remained, and it still sent more. And what we didn't know is that actually the church was going to send not just two of its best, but five of its best. Uh, one of them's a pastor up in Squamish. One of them's now a pastor out in Cranbrook, and I've been a pastor out in Kathmandu. And, you know, and all of a sudden you start realizing that God, God, God knows what he's doing. And, and I can say to you, um, when I was at the, the, the conference, the Baptist conference, of all the pastors I know, everyone was like, yeah, Barton's a great guy. He's the right guy for this. God knows what he's doing. And he knows what he wants for you as well. And the second thing is to encourage you with is God will provide. And that's what our sermon's about today. God is the God of provision. God has always provided for this congregation. And in this season, he will provide. And he'll continue to provide even after this. Um, and so what we're going to be looking at today is God being the God who provides. I was uh, told that you're preaching a series through uh, the Lord's Prayer, and I've been given the passage, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I could exegete that passage for you in about two minutes, because that's all there really is to it. But there's a lot more going on here that I'd like us to look at. Uh, first of all, I have to turn my computer on, because apparently... I have a screensaver on. There we go. So, God is the God who provides. We know this. This is actually one of the things we know most about God, right? From, from children, what are the kinds of stories we've been taught? In the wilderness, during the Exodus, what was one of God's greatest daily activities? providing manna, providing bread from heaven for 40 years. God is the God who provides. And not only that, but if we go to the story of Abraham, there's that story in Genesis 22 where God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And it's interesting, as they're walking up, the son goes, Isaac says, well, here's the fire and here's the wood. Um, something missing here. 
And what is Abraham's answer? He says, the Lord will provide the lamb. He will provide the sacrifice. And sure enough, in that story, what do we see? The place is called Jehovah Jireh. And if some of us may have learned a song as kids about that, God is my provider. And of course, Psalm 23, what is that all about? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. Why? Because of God's provision as the good shepherd. He leads me by the still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so then it's not any surprise to us when Jesus shows up. What does he teach? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, where where this prayer is located, and the passage that was just read to us today, he was teaching. He said, don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And what does, not only does Jesus teach things like this, but what does he do? Well, he also leads a group of people, 5,000 people out into the wilderness, and what does he do? He provides bread from heaven. He provides for them. So God is the God of provision. So it should be a prayer that we pray with utter confidence, right? Like, what is it that you're currently asking God to provide you with? Maybe it's just enough money to pay the bills for your daily bread. Or, coming back to the country, realizing maybe your daily gas. Um, That is a lot. As a congregation, you're now praying in a season for God to provide a new pastor. And that is going to be a long process. But maybe you're asking God to provide you with a job. Maybe you're asking God to provide you with a friend, a spouse. Maybe as a couple, you're looking, wanting God to provide a child. And maybe you're asking the Lord to provide you for wisdom within a situation. There are so many things we come to the Lord to ask for. Maybe we're just asking to provide health, good health. So here's the real question. If we know that God is the God of provision, how many of us are actually struggling with this prayer? Is it hard to maybe believe sometimes that God is the God who provides Do you easily forget or doubt that he's the God who provides? Because maybe you've been praying, maybe not just for for days, but maybe you've been praying for weeks, months, years. You've been maybe praying a real long time, and you're finding it disappointing because you're not really seeing the Lord maybe providing in the way we'd prayed for. We know we want to pray, But sometimes, and maybe you feel this, prayer is sometimes a real hard thing to do. Sometimes we find everything else is actually easier to do than prayer. And the reason is, is what I've come to learn is like prayer life is messy. Prayer is messy because life is messy. It's difficult because life is difficult. But we don't need to be discouraged because God did not ever intend it to be this way. Why did God give us prayer to begin with? He he actually created us to pray. He created us to be in communion with him. And this is going to be the most important thing for us to, to understand about provision. God wants, created us to be in constant communion with him. And so the goal of prayer is to bring us into that communion with him. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said about prayer, he said that prayer is the breath of faith. Prayer meetings are the lungs of the church. Understand what he's making the, the connection here. And it was actually really encouraging to see a prayer meeting. I'm just going to put a plug in for this. There was a church prayer meeting before the service. The, the most amazing congregation I've ever been a part of had the most vibrant prayer meeting. And I encourage you all to then to, to, to participate. Because the reason is, is that prayer should be like breathing. It should be that natural to us. That's the way we were created to be. And so I remember in our congregation... Uh, 
what we would say is, don't say that you have a problem with prayer. Say you're having a problem with life. It's like saying, I'm having a breathing problem right now. And so prayer should be natural for us. It should be as natural as breathing. But it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be seasons when we do find it hard to breathe. And so what I hope in this series that you've been on so far, the one thing I pray that you'll have figured out by now is prayer is not anything to do with ritual has nothing to do with rituals. It's not about some kind of formula or your posture or your location or your use of words or how fervently you use the words. It's not about that. Prayer is about communing, being in a relationship with God. It's walking, it's living every day with the one who created us, the one who loves us. And that's why he's provided us with prayer. Now, I have an exceptionally good friend, and I found it quite interesting. Last week, we spoke uh, together for, for a few hours. Turns out, about three hours. And um, then a few days later, it turns out we talked for another three hours. And we probably would have talked longer. Zach and I probably, I guess, I didn't get to bed to what time last night. It's, uh... But here's the thing. When in our conversation, we could have talked longer. There was no, no ritual about it. There was no fervency about it. There was no like, kind of like, if I do this, then maybe will, will this outcome happen? No. We talk simply because of the joy of communion, of, of relationship. That's what makes prayer natural. Not the ritual, it's the relationship. And you know this. If you've had a friend that's close, you know that there's no effort. And not only that, but you want to keep talking more and more. And so God encourages us to pray because it shapes us. The idea is it's shaping our life with him and it orients how we live. And so what we're going to do is just quickly look at who this God is. I'm just going to do a quick review or overcap of the, of the Lord's prayer up to this point. Uh, what we see when we look at the Lord's prayer is notice it is very short. It is very brief and it's simple. It's simple in that God doesn't require complicated words. He doesn't require sophisticated prayers. And it's also brief because it's more about the connection with God than it is with the words. I remember being in a, uh, doing a cross-country trip in the States and stopping in Ohio in a truck stop at a restaurant. And I actually remember watching this elderly couple sitting, eating a meal. And I don't... Now, there may be two reasons why they weren't talking to each other, but I'm assuming the positive intent on this one. They didn't say a word to each other. In my, the, my understanding of it was they've spent a whole life together. They probably could order each other's meal off of the menu and they probably could anticipate what the other person would, would say. And so words didn't need to be many between the two of them because there was that intimacy. And in many ways, that is what the Lord is seeking in our prayer life as well. A life of maturity, one that's in sync with God, so in some ways, it, our prayers can be simple like this and that less words are needed. And so when we look at the prayer, it's broken up into six requests. The first six are about God. And then the, or sorry, the first three are about God. And the last three are about man. And the first one focused on God is simply hallowed be your name. And what we're saying when we pray this is that we're acknowledging it, God as the one who we're talking to. He's the one that we love. And we're recognizing because he's the one who loves us and he's the one who has saved us. We're also recognizing he's the one who has and does provide us with our daily bread. And he's the one who's going to deliver us from evil and forgive us of our sins and lead us into a new kingdom. And so because he's the one, who, the God who does of all these things, we want to make sure that we're declaring that his name would be made great. And so this shapes our life, right? If prayer is shaping our life, if we are praying this, we're actually saying, Lord, 
as my life goes forward today, it's not about me. I pray that everything I would do would bring glory to your name. The second petition is simply your kingdom come. And a kingdom is something that's not hard for us to understand. It's just, it's a realm of rule. So when we pray your kingdom come, what we're praying for is God's sovereignty, God's kingly rule over everything. Because God's sphere of rule is the whole universe. Now, God's sovereignty and rule as king should be at the heart of our prayer. But this one isn't as easy for us to pray, if we're honest about it. Because most of us are used to living in a democracy. Most of us are used to the mindset that we like a government that we get to choose who we think would be the best person to run the country. But you don't get to vote for a king. You don't get to vote for a kingdom. A kingdom simply is. And so by praying your kingdom come, you're actually, we're praying against ourselves. We're praying against our own little kingdoms of what we might be trying to build in our own lives. It's the beginning of praying against ourselves. We're, we're renouncing these things. We're also saying, Lord, it's not about the kingdom of the world. It's not the, about Satan. It's not about, we're about sin. It's not about all of these things. It's all about your kingdom. And it's longing that God would lead us into a kingdom that is far greater than anyone that we could build ourselves. And this is not easy for us to pray genuinely because we're so conditioned to being in control. We're so conditioned into building and accumulating our own kingdoms. I remember I took a course uh, with Eugene Peterson. I was really fortunate uh, to be able to take a course with him. And, and a very wise, a very uh, humble man. But there was one time when he said something where the classroom just went silent. And he said this, he said, the easiest way to simplify the spiritual life is to get rid of God. Because then everything is simple in that you know exactly what you're going to do. But when you're living with an almighty God, a life that requires obedience and sacrifice, then life is a little more difficult. That's a profound saying. If you want to make your life, your spiritual life simple, just get rid of God. Then you know exactly what you're going to do. But when you pray your kingdom come, that's no longer an option. If we woke up in the morning and really prayed this, how would it shape your day differently? And then the next one is even harder. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But this idea of your will be done, this is where we find the life of prayer is often spent in great disappointment. See, we spend a lot of time being disappointed in God when we pray because we're conditioned into thinking about what we want rather than what we need. Uh, I'm a, a father of four. I love my children. They're four, six, eight, and ten. Almost five, seven, nine, and eleven. They're, they're growing up very quickly. And the amount of times I say, Mom, Dad, I need this, or I want this. Uh, my, my wife is very good at singing a song that is popular. You don't always get what you want. <laughs> You don't always get what you want, but you get what you, what you need sometimes. But this is disappointing. See, we're so conditioned about thinking about what we want and what we want and what God wants for us are entirely different. I remember uh, often uh, there's a J.A. Packer would, would often say this, that God is not interested in our happiness, which is usually the things that we want. God's interested in our holiness. Those are two very, very different things. 
And so when we're praying and recognizing that God is actually not interested in making us religious consumers, but he's more interested in making us saints, then when we pray, we might start to realize there are times that this prayer is hard. Because again, this is praying against ourselves. We don't say, my will be done. We say, your will be done. Now, the best place to learn what disappointment in prayer looks like is just to look at the Gospels. And this is very, uh, it's worth doing. It's worth doing this. Now, if you think about Jesus, Jesus was a magnet for prayer. And what do I mean by this? How often did people go to Jesus and make a petition for something? Lord, would you provide me with this? Would you provide me with that? Would you help? Will you heal? Will you cast out this demon? They're all requests to who? They're requests to God. These are prayers. If you think about every t- anytime somebody goes to Jesus and asks him a question, think of it as a prayer. Now, this is where it becomes a problem. Because more often than not, Jesus doesn't answer their prayers the way they ask. I'll give you the statistics a little bit later, but here's the thing. It's because God is sovereign. We pray for his kingdom and we're praying for his will. That actually influences when we ask him to provide for things. Now, if we look at the Gospels, Jesus is asked 49 times to to do something, okay? 49 times. The first three do not come from who you think. Who do you think asks Jesus the first three prayer requests? Satan. Do you remember those? Now listen to these if they were prayers. Listen to these if they were prayers. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What's he just asking right there? Does that not give us this day our daily bread? You're the provider. Provide the bread. But notice, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, said another way, what are these prayers saying? God, if you do what I will, then I'll do this. Do our prayers ever sound that way? Do we ever go to the Lord trying to think, can we get a bargain here? Can we maybe get a a good deal if if I can sort of angle it in a certain way? Conditional. Now think about it. Satan has just told Jesus to ask to provide for his daily bread. So Satan's prayers, guess what? They're genuine prayers. He meant it. He may even have said it fervently. But just because we pray doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean they're always appropriate. When we pray, thy will be done, it doesn't allow for personal agendas. It doesn't actually allow for conditions at all or personal ambitions. Satan was praying in a way that was serving his own self-interest. And so guess what? Trying to bend God's will, it didn't work. And it's no surprise then that what does Jesus do? Jesus says, no. And instead, he responds with what? Every single time. He responds with God's word. Why? Because God's word teaches us what God's will is. Now, Satan asked, he did not receive. And guess what? He was greatly disappointed. There's a lesson there that we should learn and reflect on this. But now if you, if you move on in Matthew, you'll find four stories in Matthew chapter 8. And four of them are all people coming to Jesus with a request. They're really simple. The first one you'll find in chapter 8, verse 2 to 3. A leper comes to Jesus and all he says is, Lord, if you will, make me clean. If you will, make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and said, I will be clean. 
That's a great, like, do you see how short that prayer was? But notice what the emphasis was. This is actually one of the very rare uh, instances where Jesus does exactly what the guy asked for. But notice that there's no conditions, there's no nothing. The only condition is, if you will, make me clean. Jesus provides the healing. The next uh, verse, and a few verses later, in verse 13, the centurion comes to Jesus. And again, this is a prayer for help. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now, notice what Jesus says here. He actually says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Because the centurion, notice he's an outsider. He's, he's not Jewish, right? He's an outsider. He's coming in and recognizing who Jesus is. He's going, hey, you're the one who can do this. And Jesus is like, I'll do it. But then you have interesting stories like the disciples in the, in the storm. If you just go to chapter 8, verse 24, you have a great prayer there where they wake Jesus up and saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Is that a good prayer? It's an amazing prayer. It's honest. It's simple. But notice what Jesus does in that story. You know, he does calm the sea and he calms the storm, but then he rebukes them. He goes, why did you have so little faith? He still, he answered their prayer, but he rebukes them in the process of it. It shows that we actually don't always need to pray in the right way. You know, that? Like, the, the, the thing that's important about that story is they go to Jesus and just say, hey, take care of this. And he's going, yeah, but he didn't understand the theology of who I am properly. He didn't actually address me properly in this way. You didn't even say our father, or you didn't even say any, or amen. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? Get this straight. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't. And then there are the two demon-possessed men later in the chapter and this is a fun one. They tell Jesus to leave them alone. He says, like, don't provide us with anything. Go away. And Jesus doesn't listen to them, and he heals them anyways in spite of themselves. Has that ever happened in your life when you don't want Jesus to get involved? And he does anyways? Those are really fascinating. I'm thankful for the times when Jesus does not listen to what I'm asking for and gives me what I need. So here's the thing. I could go on and on it. But what I would encourage you to do is when you're reading the Gospels, just take notice of this. What does someone ask for? And what does Jesus actually do at the end? Here's the thing. 49 times. 49 times in all of the Gospels, Jesus only answers the way that he's asked five times. That's 10%. How disappointing is that? It might seem disappointing, but guess what? The gospel writers don't seem at all concerned. They don't seem to have a problem with it. That Jesus doesn't answer on our terms. Or because we often will ask this question, why does Jesus answer some prayers and not others? And the simple answer is, I don't know. We don't know. We're not God. He is. And so it requires us to shift the emphasis from us and our expectations and desires to God and his desires. And it's important for us to hear this because here's the funny part about it. You can ask God whatever you want and he is going to encourage us. He, oh, like, is there any place where he says, don't, don't pray, I'm just gonna do whatever I want? No, he's always inviting us to pray and to make those petitions. But what he's saying, though, is you can ask me anything, but you have to allow God to be God and to do what he wills and answer how he sees fit. The best prayer for this, a, a, a great example, is Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we know this passage probably quite well. Paul prays to God, and this could be a whole sermon in itself, so I'll try to keep it short. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, that's an important phrase there. To, to prevent me from becoming conceited. A thorn was given. A thorn was provided. God gave me a thorn. I'm sure he didn't pray for that. Knowing that, a messenger of Satan. Who, what? God, God said, what? Pay attention to that. 
A messenger of Satan came to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God provides a lot of stuff in this passage. Do you notice this? A thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan. Like, really? That's not what Paul asked for. But then Paul says, take those away from me. That's, that's a reasonable prayer. Notice what God's answer is. No. Three times. No. But can I give you something better? Can I give you grace? Can I give you my grace? Can I give you my power? Maybe those are better things in this moment. And notice then what Paul's response is. I will now boast in my weakness. Because what he realized was going, I just want the, God to provide me with something else, with relief or with comfort or whatever it is. And God's like, no, but I will give you something that you're, that's going to make you more like me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray, thy will be done. God is going to provide you with everything that is needed to make you the person he wants you to be. He always will. Whatever is going to make you holy, whatever is going to make you mature and complete in your faith, God will never provide a lack in that category. Because ultimately, that's his greatest desire for us. Jesus even pr prays this prayer, doesn't he? In the garden? What's the, what does he say? Like, Lord, you know, if it be possible, let this cup, like basically take this cup away from me, let it pass. But what does he pray then? Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. God didn't take it away. But what God did provide was a resurrection, though. There's a sense in which the Lord's prayer goes against everything in our nature. It goes against everything in our nature. We're praying against ourselves. We're saying, Lord, it's all about you. It's about what you're building. Do it your way. Do what you desire. And that's how we open the whole prayer. The first three things are all about praying against ourselves. And so you see how this is going to shape our lives when we pray. And that's why this important hinge phrase, it says, on earth as it is in heaven. Because ultimately, our desire should be in our prayers to see how we are to be transformed into what God wants them to be. It's a picture of shaping, of transformation. And it should encourage us practically in our prayer. We actually can come to Jesus with improper prayers, inadequate prayers, fumbling prayers. We don't know our theology prayers. Um, our prayers begin where we are. They may start with our need. They might start with our curiosity. Might be a lot of words or few, but we don't want to stay there. The goal is that we'd be matured, that God would mature us as people and in our relationship with him. And I, I sort of think of it, uh, Zach had mentioned this, um, I'm going somewhere in the next few weeks, apparently. Uh, the Lord is leading me. I've been, uh, I'm going to be going as a military chaplain in the Canadian Armed Forces, which I've been really looking forward to. And it's interesting. They asked me the question. They said, where would you like to be posted? Now, where do you think I put as number one? Come on, it's easy. Squimalt, who, who doesn't want to be here, right? And uh, I really, I was hoping for that. And it was interesting. The way the, the head chaplain responded, he was like, I heard what you asked for. I've heard, like, I was listening to you, but we're going to send you to Ontario. And I said, that sounds more foreign than Kathmandu. Uh, <laughs> 
Well, it seems further at least, but it's uh, But here's the thing. He was listening, but because he, I don't know the military well, but he does. He's like, can I, it's like, can I give you something better that's actually going to be what you need? And so the first day I was kind of a little, hmm, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe it'll be okay. But once I started to hear and see what was going to happen, I was like, actually, he knew what, he was actually really looking out for me. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to take me forever to get there, to drive, but it'll be fun. It'll be cold winters. That's okay. We'll learn how to ice skate on, I've always wanted to learn to ice skate on a pond. We don't get to do that here. So there are positives. It'll be good. (laughs) See, I'm trying to convince myself. Um, But all this is important. We haven't even got to our passage, but here's the thing. When we get to this part here where it says, give us this day our daily bread, we have to understand everything that comes before it. It's not just simply asking, God, I need some bread. But what it's saying is, listen, Lord, there's a big story going on here. You know the big picture. You know what is going to bring glory to your name. You're you're the one who's ruling the whole universe. You know where everybody needs to be. You're providing for everyone. And you know what brings yourself joy and delight. So I know there are some prayers in other denominations where they simply start the prayer by going, Lord, you are God, and we are not. And that's a really honest prayer. It's a good place to start. And so when we get to this, when it means to ask for give us this day our daily bread, it's the first shift from everything is towards God, but now it's, it shifts to our. And notice it never says my. You're not going to find my in, in the Lord's Prayer, which is interesting. But it should be noticeable that this is the most basic request. He's just saying, ask for literal bread. It's a very basic, real, daily need. It is interesting, this, this idea of daily bread... The word daily in Greek is actually not used anywhere else. So it's left commentators going, well, what does daily mean? Uh, well, it just means daily. But, but really what it was trying to say is they actually found a, a little, almost looked like a little shopping list, you know, that you give to your child to go to the shop. R- really what it all, it, you're, when you're asking for God to give you your daily bread, it's the, the day fresh bread, not the old stale stuff. It's just, get, guess the stuff that's for today. And, and we see here that really what the prayer is, he's saying, ask for the simple things for a simple life. When asking God to provide, you know, you, you, the, the example I've often used is, if I'm saying, Lord, I need transportation. That's the, that's the category. Now, I could say, Lord, I would love a Lamborghini. And God says, I hear that. It's a beautiful car. Here's a bicycle, you know. And you see, notice there's a huge difference. Now, I could be really, really disappointed, but if all I was looking for is a means of transportation, I'm going, well, hey, that's my means of transportation. Thank you, Lord, for providing a bicycle. Um, The idea is simplicity. The Lord would satisfy our simple physical needs. That's what this prayer is simply asking for. And he teaches us here to ask boldly. It's, there, there's no if you will in this. It's just, it's like, it's a bold, give us this day. It's, it's almost like it's, Lord, because you're the one who created us, it's kind of your responsibility to take care of us. And so when we pray this, we should be able to pray boldly even before we pray and certain that Lord will be the one who does provide just a few verses, three verses before in verse 8, remember what he says. Your father knows what you need before you even ask. And, and that's one of the wonderful things about prayer. And maybe one of the frustrating things about prayer as well is before you even ask, have you ever thought, God knows what I'm going to ask? But knowing that, but he knows what I'm going to need, and you're going, oh, those two might not line up. How do we know they're going to line up? Well, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit's kind of working on our behalf. There are a lot of times, you know, it says the, the, the Spirit is interceding for us. Uh, very often, you know, it, it's the way I sort of imagine it is going, the Holy Spirit saying, okay, okay, God, like, um, he asked for this, but what he's really asking, what he really needs is this. Like, there's this kind of interceding is like he knows what's better for us. Now, 
Some of you might be listening to all of this and think to yourself, it's not what I was hoping for prayer. That does sound a little disappointing. You're asking me to pray and there's no guarantee. I hate to tell you, there is no guarantee. Um, But here's the thing. Something better. Something we need to see here. When we get involved in prayer, we're getting involved in Jesus' life, in God's life. If you go to John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. John chapter 6 is a long chapter, but it is a powerful chapter because guess what? He provides them with their daily bread. The next day, like good Baptists, they were like, that was free bread. We, what, we're doing a potluck again? You know, I grew up, but we had potlucks all the time. It was like, I'm going back for more. So they come to Jesus the next day. And what do they ask him? Basically, we like the free bread. Could we have some more, please? Could we have some of our daily bread? Guess what Jesus' response is? No. No, but you asked us to pray for our daily bread. And Jesus is like, no, you're only interested in the bread. John 6, what does he say? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So even though they were asking Jesus for their daily bread, Jesus says, no, but could I give you something better? Can I give you God? Can I actually give you myself? Now, there's a really powerful verse in there. When it transformed my life, from that day onward, John 6, 66, many of Jesus' disciples left him and followed him no more. They wanted the bread. And they were disappointed when Jesus said, no, what about me? So we have to be careful with our prayers because ultimately the heart of all of our prayers, you can hear, you should be able to hear God's voice going, regardless of how I answer this, if I gave you myself, would that be enough for you? And this is what the good news is. And this will close. If you go to Mark chapter 12, If you go to Mark chapter 12, you see a passage where Jesus is at the temple. And there are all these people with lots of money coming in. They're putting all this money in. And Jesus is watching. But then he looks at the disciples. He's like, hey, you got to come here. Watch this. And what does he point out? A poor old widow who has what? Two copper coins that don't even make a penny. We don't even make pennies anymore. But notice what it says. She gave all that she had to live on. She has a choice that day. She could say, Lord, thank you for providing me with these two copper coins. Maybe I could get enough to buy my daily bread. She has a choice. Lord, I want my bread or I want a blessing from you. And notice what Jesus says. She didn't go for the bread. When it came down to it, all that she had to live on, she still made the choice. I I need to be blessed by God. And so when we look at this prayer today, Give us this day our daily bread, asking God. He's the one who provides. We go to the Lord so often. You've heard this before. He's not Santa Claus. He's God. He's not someone we just give a wish list to and go, you better get on to it. But he's someone that we wrestle with, we plead with, we seek to know and love. But ultimately, when we're asking for provision... He may provide for you. He may provide in a very timely and quick manner, but you may be praying for years and never get the answer. 
But the one thing I can guarantee you behind this is that every time you pray, the Lord is going to be saying, regardless of how I respond, I love you and I'm giving you me. I am with you. I will bless you. Is that enough? If your name is Elizabeth, um, my, my daughter, we, when he named her, we named her Elisheva, which is the Hebrew form of Elizabeth. Isabel, there's a lot of names come from it. But you know what it means? God is my fullness. God is my completeness. He provide, he'll give us everything that we need. He will provide you everything you need. Don't doubt him on that. Even if it doesn't look like he's answering the prayers you think you, you hope he would answer them in. There is so much more to life than our desires. But it is good news that we have been called beyond our desires to be in a relationship with the creator, with the God who's made us. So do not be discouraged in your prayer. Keep praying to him, but look to him. Look for him, anticipate him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are thankful that you invite us to continually come to you in prayer. And Lord, we do readily confess that we don't pray as we ought. We don't know how to pray properly. But that doesn't tell you, or you don't tell us to stop. So Lord, I pray you to allow us to come boldly before you and just ask as children, but to trust you. And to know that you will never deny us your presence. And that's the one thing that we need more than anything else today. In your name we pray. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.